Welcome this morning. Good to see your faces. I pray that's reciprocated. <laughs> Amen. For now, response, I hope so. Praise the Lord. Um, now, uh, our, actually, our, our text will be from 1 Corinthians 16. But <clears throat> in saying that, there's a couple, number of scriptures that I want to... Uh, to, well, I will touch upon as I lay a bit of a foundation here before we get to our text. So, I will get to my text. If you're thinking, gosh, when's he going to read the text? I will get there. But I want to lay a foundation and I want to just kind of, um, uh, before we touch upon where we're going to head. And so, one of the things that I have been pondering upon in recent times um, uh, deals with ultimately uh, our love for God. But in the context of that and the things that surround all of that, there is a term that gets bantered around in Christian circles and sometimes for good reason and sometimes for the wrong reasons, but it's the, the word legalism. Legalism. When we hear that word all of a sudden, you know, our kind of the alarm bells go off and we begin to kind of get tentative about some things and, like I said, sometimes for very good reasons. But let's be honest, we, when we come to hear terms like uh, in the Christian life, like you have to, you, the Christian should, the Christian can't, um, or we talk about God's commands, or obedience to the word of God, or even the great word submit. And so when we talk in these terms in relation to the Christian life, they are, let's be honest, for the most part, they, are con- they go contrary to human nature. I mean, just like a child, you say, don't do that. You know, the child goes, oh, for sure, I won't do it, <laughs> you know. No, there's something in him, it's called the sinful nature and it's there and so even into the Christian life when we hear terms like this we can sometimes feel a little uneasy. And so, uh, because human nature doesn't gravitate to these particular words. Now like I said, when we talk about legalism it's not that um, uh, (laughs) to have concerns about it is altogether wrong or negative because the truth is, is that there are many dangers in the Christian life and we must be mindful of the leaven of legalism because um, it can make its way into um, the Christian life and into a church and it can have a devastating effect uh, in certain ways and it really does corrupt that which is uh, truth and that which is of the Spirit of God. And so that's fair enough. But at the same time, to just dismiss legalism and reject anyone that would talk about the commandments of God, obedience and holiness and, and some of the do's and don'ts, uh, if you want to call it in those terms, that the Christian life is also is just as dangerous as well. And so what I'm saying is there's a, there's a balance here. There is somewhere in the middle, there's somewhere in between that we have to hit that target and that's what I want to address this morning. This is what I want to aim at as we consider these particular things. It's the issue of context. Now just to establish this further, the word or the term legalism, literally defined, it means to overt 
overly, to be overly strict or rigid adherence to the law or to a religious or moral code. It's to be overly strict. It also means the strict adherence to law, especially the stressing of the letter of the law, rather than its spirit. Or in other words, when we talk about legalism, we're talking about just pushing things just a little bit too far, going beyond what was intended. Um, and, so to, to, it's, it, and it becomes legalistic. And we call it legalism. And we know, according to the Bible, that the Pharisees themselves were guilty uh, and labelled uh, uh, of legalism, and for good reason. The Pharisees, mind you, when you think about it, they were very zealous for the law in a commendable manner. They had a, 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 a zeal for God that, in, in, in its essence, was not necessarily wrong. But yet when it came to the practice and the outflow and the practical aspects of religious life and worship, they had missed it altogether and so they had become legalistic in relation to the law of Moses and its application and also their traditions and the commandments of men and Jesus made this clear to them to the point that it led them ultimately to hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And so, and Jesus, uh, we know, when you read the Gospels, who's Jesus attacking the most? The Pharisees, calling them hypocrites. And so he, uh, he, he, he even said, uh, in relation to the Sabbath, because, you know, here they are, Jesus is healing on the Sabbath, and the, the Pharisees say, listen, I mean, people are getting healed, you know, miracles. And the Pharisees are saying, no, wait a minute, there's six days to be healed. Don't come on the seventh, that's the Sabbath. And so, you know, it's insane, isn't it? But that's how legalism works. You can't, you come so blinded to some certain things. And so uh, Jesus turns around and says, listen, the, uh, uh, the Sabbath was made for men, not men for the Sabbath. And so he says, which one of you has a, a sheep that falls into a ditch on the Sabbath? Won't just pick it up and lift it out. And so he's trying to show them because that's what they would do and so now they want to get all self-righteous and, and, and legalistic about what's going on here and Jesus again, he, he reveals it for what it really is. But this is human nature. This is the, the leaven of legalism. But at the same time, on one occasion, we find Jesus actually commends them for their strict adherence to the law. In this case, it was the law of tithing. In, in, uh, in the law of Moses. And so Jesus in Matthew 23, verse 23, he says, Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Now, he's, again, he's very vehement in his rebuke of them, but in doing this, he says, you tithe down to the very last herb and you're so meticulous in your strict adherence to the law, but you fail to uh, uh, and you neglect the weightier matters of the law, which is mercy and justice and faith. And then he says, these you ought to have done. So he doesn't condemn them for doing it. 
but he's condemning because they are unbalanced, they have missed the whole spirit of the law and they have fallen into legalism and they are corrupted and they are playing the hypocrite themselves which they don't even know and they are under the greatest condemnation through Jesus Christ himself. And yet they were the most zealous for the law. How does it work? You see, this is what we want to address because this is a danger for anybody and everybody. And I want to look at this in light of the Christian life. Because the truth is, is that the Christian life this morning is not without law. Did you hear that? The Christian life this morning is not without law. So then how is it applied? How does it work? Because as I said in the beginning, the word legalism gets bantered around and sometimes for good reason. But in other times as well, for, uh, uh, it's just an scapegoat for some because they don't want to live up to and obey the word of God as they ought to. And so the New Testament has its commandments. They are there. They are critically important. They must be obeyed by the child of God. And so it's my desire this morning <coughs> to, um, to address what Jesus called the weightier matters of the law. And that's what I want to focus on, the weightier matters of the law, or in this instance, the weightier matter. And what is it? You probably got it. Love. 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 Because if you get this right, and if that's the motivating factor, if this is the driving force in your, in your Christian life, uh, then there is success, guaranteed. Let it, if it's not there and, uh, and it becomes outward forms and religious uh, ritual and all the rest of it, God help us this morning. It is love. It's the most important issue of the Christian life, our love for God. Jesus even said to, um, to those, the lawyer who tested him, who came to question him in Matthew chapter 22, Verse 34, they came to test Jesus and when the Pharisees heard that he had, the Bible says, when the Pharisees had heard that he silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him and said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets and the same principle is true in relation to the Christian life this morning. Our love for God and our love for the brethren, it is the most paramount, important aspects of living out our Christian faith and ultimately in obeying the word of God, the commandments of God and the truth of God's word. What did Jesus say in John 14? He said in John 14 verse 15, If you love me, what do you say? Say it out loud. <laughs> he said, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And this is, the, this is what God is looking at. He's, he wants to see our love, not in our words that we speak, but in the life that we live. 
and the obedience that we demonstrate. Now again, we're not talking about perfection because Colm already made that clear this morning. None of us can attain to perfection. We all fail. If anyone says that they don't sin, they're deceiving themselves. But I'm talking about the spirit behind what we do. And so Jesus also says in verse 21 of John 14, he says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is him or they who love me. He reiterates it again. So the one who really loves me is the one who keeps my commandments. And he goes on to say, And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Even in the Great Commission, what did Jesus tell his disciples to do? Go into all the world and preach the gospel make disciples and get them to practice all the commands that I have given you. That's the responsibility. So can you see how central this is? Can you see how, um, this is why I'm laying a foundation here before we get to where I want to go. Because it's imperative that we understand this. Because Jesus has said of the Pharisees again, he says the problem with you Pharisees, he says, you, and he said to the people, he says, the problem is, is that uh, do what they say, but don't do what they do. He says, for these people honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so that was the indictment. They had no love for God. They professed outwardly. They, 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 they looked like they were the, the real deal, but Jesus says, uh, on the outside of the cup, it's all polished, but inside it's dead man's bones. Oh, like an open tomb, I should say, um, like a whitewashed tomb. But inside it's all dead, dead man's bones. And so God help us that we would fall into such a, a, a category ourselves. So what did Paul the Apostle say himself in relation to love? He said in 1 Corinthians, the great love chapter of the Bible, he says, if I don't have love, I am nothing. See, there's a principle here. And this principle, if you take it further and you apply it to the Christian life, if, if your Christian life is not based upon love for God, a genuine love and devotion to Him, then I say this this morning, your Christian life is nothing. Now, some will stop and say, oh, Pastor Gary, you're being a bit harsh there. You're being a little bit harsh. Do you have to put in those words? Wait till we get to our text. That's what I'll say. Wait till we get to the text. Because our love for God has to be the motivating factor of all things. It's the principal truth of the Christian life. It's the practical outflow. In actual fact, in 1 John, if you read that whole book there by John, you'll begin to see how prominent and important this love for God is. And John even, and I'll pick one scripture in particular, in John chapter, 1 John chapter 5 and in verse 3, uh, it says, For this is our love for God, or our love to God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. You see, to, to the one who does not love the Lord as they should, the commandments of God are a burden. Can you say amen? But when our love is as it should be, when our love is authentic, 
when our love is real, when our love for God is true, then His commandments are not a burden, but they are a delight. Amen. And they are, we are only too willing to embrace and obey. But I tell you, if there's a conflict of, of will, and if our love for God has waned, then you'll find that the commandments of God are a burden, and it's in this category that there are some, and I would say sometimes many, who will say and point the finger at the legalists. You're being legalistic. Well, no, maybe your love for the Lord's not as it should be. Can you see both sides here? And I'm not, I'm, I'm, again, I'm hitting both sides to establish this middle ground, this truth that I want to bring out this morning as we consider the Word of God. For our love to God means this, we continually practice and keep His commandments. And so this is what we're going to identify in our text. Now before we read our text in 1 Corinthians... 16. I just want to point out that Paul the Apostle is writing to the Corinthian church. <clears throat> and as, uh, uh, for those that don't know, he, Paul would, most times he would dictate his letters and so someone would write them. But then at the end of the letter he would take the pen and he says, I'm writing this in my own, with my own hand. I'm writing this and so he, he gets the pen and here this doing the same thing to the Corinthians. He's, he's dictated his letter, said everything that he said. Someone's taken it down. But then he says, okay, I've grabbed the pen and he's letting them know and I'm going to write my final words with my own hand in this particular letter. What is it that Paul says? They are profound words and let's read them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we'll start at verse... 21. Paul says, the, the salutation with my own hand, Paul's, he's writing, and this is what he says, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, think about this. And the, the Greek word here is, accursed, in accursed is the Greek word an, anathe, oh, what is it? What is it? Anathema. There you go. And O Lord come is the word, Greek word Maranatha. And so here it is that let him be accursed is what Paul writes, if the one that does not love the Lord Jesus Christ. Now they are heavy words. We can look at the verse 23 and it says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Oh, that's wonderful. Or in verse 24 where he says, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. God bless you, Paul. But when you look at verse 23, uh, 22, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus, let him be accursed. Oh Lord, come. Those words seem a little potent, they're harsh, they are hard. But you see, they are there because they capture the essence of what we are talking about because the issue of the Christian life, the issue of greatest concern for God is do you really love me? That's what he said to Peter, isn't it? Do you really love me? And it's this love that God is looking for and Paul is identified and he says that if one does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. These are heavy words. 
He's consigning to eternal damnation. He's consigning to eternal destruction the one who does not love or truly love the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about this. He's not just talking about you know, the rampant sin, sinner who's the notorious rebel and sinner. He's talking about one who does not authentically and truly love Christ. Well, how do you know if you truly love Christ? You obey his commandments. That's how you measure it. It's obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. That's the principle. And so there may be people that are not guilty of any gross sin in their lives, but they're not loving God as God would require of them and as they should. They may even have a form of religion in their lives. They may even profess the name of Jesus. They may even come to church occasionally, maybe regularly. But yet there is something amiss, deeply amiss in their lives and as Paul would say, they are destitute of the power of God and they don't know the power of God that enables them to live a godly life and a life that is pleasing and acceptable to God in obedience. And so there are churches and Christianity has those that fall into this category and I'm sure Corinth has did as well. So Paul's referring to the generalisation of those that do not love the Lord, let them be accursed. Matthew 7, what did Jesus say? Many will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we not cast out demons in your name, heal the sick in your name? And uh, Jesus' response will be, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You who break my law. You who defy my law. All wrongdoing is sin. And so this was the key factor. They had all the religious form in their lives, but their life was not characterised by obedience to God. They weren't obeying God. They weren't pleasing to God. Their life was bound in hypocrisy and unrighteousness and sin. And this is what Jesus is referring to. But you can see and identify, I'm sure, the principle here that we're talking about. And Paul understands, like Jesus, what is the vital issue of life and it's an authentic love for God that manifests itself in an obedient heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is the unique feature of the Christian faith. This is the unique characteristic of the Christian. He really loves Jesus and it is manifested in the manner in which he conducts himself. Now again, I'm not talking perfection. We're talking about obedience to those things that, we, uh, that God would require of us. We're talking about a sincere love and devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what the weightier matter of the law is. It's love. Why do you think people who are not Christians see Christianity as a bunch of rules and regulations? Because they don't love God. They don't know love for God. So they see it as something that's binding, as something that's repressive, right? But you see, that's, and to the Christian, or to the professing Christian who likes to label incorrectly the person or church who preaches and teaches the commandments of God, obedience, holiness and righteousness, and begins to say some things like do's and don'ts maybe even, uh, it's not, uh, we can be quick to label legalism, But is it always the case? I would dare say it's not. Can it be? Yeah, it can be. 
but maybe it isn't. You've really got to uh, make this distinction and be spiritual minded here. This is the point that I'm making. You see, the problem is not always the so-called legalist, but it's the one who lacks an authentic love for God in their hearts. And so this is an issue that we must deal with because Paul says that for the one who does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, let them be accursed. Harsh words, heavy words. But it's the truth because it's the most important thing. Paul says, let them go to hell. That's exactly, basically what he's saying. Let them be damned to eternal destruction. Because Paul understands what we're talking about this morning. And I think sometimes we fail to see and understand just how serious this issue is in the sight of God. I mean, we've already looked at how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees. We've already established that they were hypocrites and that their profession for love for God was false. But you see, this is a trap that we can fall into. I mean, how many marriages find themselves in situations and circumstances where um, uh, the, the husband, or let's say the husband, for example, might be unfaithful? And uh, he says to his wife, but I, I love you. But yet secretly he's out having an affair and, uh, and being, uh, committing adultery and being unfaithful and yet he's telling his wife he loves her. I mean, we would, the question would be, well, what love is that? That's not love. So you can see we can measure things when we talk about our relationship to God by those human relationships and those human aspects. We can see them for ourselves. And the truth of the matter is, is that we can look at that, that marriage and say, well, that's not love. Well, the same thing applies to the Christian life when we talk about our love for God and yet we can be so disobedient to the commandments of God, so in love with the world that we're committing spiritual adultery in our own relationship with God. We can fall into hypocrisy in a severe sense if we're not careful. I've seen it. Actually, to be honest, it's happened to me. Because that's that's human nature. We're prone to self-deception. But what I'm saying is this this morning, that to truly love Jesus means to put him first. It's simple. It means to put him first. To put him before everybody and everything else because that's what God demands. Amen? If, if someone's going to get in the way of your love for God, then they must be... If something's going to get in the way of your love for God, then out it goes. It might be something different for you that steals your affections to someone else. I don't know. It's not, again, it's not hard and fast, but it is, it is relative for, in circumstances. But the thing is, is if something's going to get in your way and take you away from God, take you away from the Word of God, take you away from prayer, take you away from tending church, or whatever the case may be, then uh, you must deal with it decisively. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Because God doesn't take second place. You, the first and greatest commandment is you must love God with all your heart and that love is manifested by obedience. So when you are in disobedience, well, the authenticity of your love gets questioned, true? And so the, the secret to a happy, content and full and holy Christian life and a victorious Christian life is this, our love for God. And we have to learn this. Let's be honest, Amen. You serve the Lord. For, hey, I know what I was like. 
I've had traits and probably may even still have traits of legalism in me. I know what it's like to, be, to live the life in self-effort. I know what it's like to try and please the Lord just out of my own strength. And that can tend to legalistic concepts and thoughts and practices. But at the same time, in the process of our Christian life, as God deals with each of us, he strips us back, he strips us bare and he brings us back to everything that can be shaken, is shaken in our lives and he brings us down to what is the fundamental reality of the Christian life and it's this, do you really love me? Peter said, Lord, if they all deny you, not me, Lord, I am the most faithful. Are you, Peter? So then what's he doing later? Do you really love me, Jesus? He's questioning the authenticity of his love. You know that I love you. Is the response. But you see, this, is, this love is what will carry us through in the longevity of our Christian life in the midst of the trials and temptations and the testings and all of those things. And the one that... Uh, does not love the Lord and uh, in the manner in which God will requires, well, uh, we will all have to stand in the judgment seat of Christ. We will all face judgment. And so this issue of love is, is critically important. I, sometimes I think we fail to grasp how, if our love is not as it should be, how sinful it is before the Lord. Because... This is why Paul would say, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's not just that, it's some, uh, the, the root of these things can be rebellion, disobedience. Now, I, don't get me wrong, I understand and we can all relate to the fact that um, we struggle there. We can have uh, grace and we can be sensitive to those that are struggling in their faith and are weak and even those that fail, because we all fail. But when one has a constant disposition of continued disobedience and defiance of God and his word and takes this in, the, in, in, in a continuous manner, this is where this issue of Paul's words in verse 21 come into play. Let them be accursed if, the love, if, no one, if, the, if one does not love the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him be accursed. It's a principle. You see, the basis of love this morning is submission, our submission to God. The well, Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And when we take the time to reflect upon all that God has done for us, all that he suffered for us, all that he's done to save your soul and then the defiance and our sin and our rebellion and when we look at everything that God has done and we see love, 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 love. How can we not reciprocate that and love him as we ought to? And we love him in all facets and areas of our lives. We love him with our lives. We love him with our time. We love him with our finances. We love him in every facet and area of our lives. How can we refuse the, the greatest lover of our soul, the one who gave us everything to save us? And, that's, and it's in this context that Paul is writing and it's in this context that, that Paul is thinking 
in there and expressing the fact that one must love the Lord. It is required. But look at what he says as we kind of bring this to a conclusion in verse 22. After he says that, he says, O Lord, come. He says, Maranatha. He says, to the one that doesn't love the Lord, let them be accursed. Let them be uh, uh, destitute. Let them be confined and consigned to eternal punishment. But then he turns his attention and he says, O Lord, come, come. Because the heart of Paul and the heart of the one who loves the Lord this morning is these words, come Lord Jesus. Come, come today. Come now. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And isn't it true, the longer you live this life, you know, in the, Paul says in the flesh, it's, uh, um, uh, there's one part of me, there's a struggle that wants to be absent from this body and be present with the Lord, but he says, for me to remain in the flesh is needful for you, as in uh, to serve. But, you know, and, and we understand that human dilemma at times in, in relation to various things with family and, and uh, also the purpose and will of God, but the truth of the matter is, Oh, how wonderful it would be that Jesus would come. Let's just get this over and done with, Lord. Because Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come now, oh Lord. Because our love is so enraptured, our love is so strong that we cannot wait to be absent from this body and to be present with God. You know why, I mean, we understand that death has no sting, but you know what makes death so triumphant? Is one day I'm going to see him as he is. One day I'm going to stand before my Lord. One day I'm going to worship him and sit at his feet, amen, and see him. And I tell you what, come Lord Jesus, whether it be at the point of death that I see him or whether it's in his return, hallelujah, come now. Come now. There's nothing else that's more significant or important or means more than anything else than, than the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, come. Come Lord Jesus. Take me home, away from the sorrow of this life, away from the pain and suffering of this life. Amen. I don't have to get up and go to work. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, I don't have to function in those mundane, earthly things. Hallelujah. I can do now we have entered into glory and we have been translated and that uh, which is uh, 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 corruption has been put aside and that which is incorruptible has been put on and I tell you we shall be forever with the Lord. And that's why we get so excited. That's why we rejoice in these things because our love is such. What are you waiting for? What's your dream? I can't wait till I get my house. I can't wait till I get this. I can't wait to do that. I can't wait till I attain this. I can't attain that. All of those things, and I'm not saying in and of themselves these things are wrong. There's a life that we live. But what I'm saying to you is have your love right. Your love for the Lord must be first. That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or to obey his commandments. And all these things will be added to you. But when you make those things the priority and the focus, then you've completely missed it and your love for the Lord is not as it should be. 
You know, as I was concluding this, I, a scripture in Song of Solomon came to my mind that just captured this love. God's love for us and what should be our love for him. And in the, in the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6, the Shulamite is speaking to her beloved or the bride is speaking to her bridegroom. And in a sense it captures our love for the Lord but there's also a greater principle here. But let me read from verse 6 of chapter 8. It says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. This is speaking about the purity of love and what it really is. And it's not just, I mean, this, it's being described as as strong as death. There's something about this love that is pure. It is fire. It is, uh, it is passion. And uh, the bride is expressing this to the bridegroom, but the description itself encapsulates a definition of love and a revelation of love and of God's love towards us because the man, this is why God so loves us, amen. And uh, that's why he re- requires from us the same fundamental principle as it's been throughout all the Bible. It hasn't changed. The first and greatest commandment will never change. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And if you can do that, then you learn to love your neighbour as yourself. And so, to those that love the Lord, Paul would say in verse 23, My grace, or the grace of our Lord, sorry, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, and my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Because we share the same common love, the same common focus, the same common purpose, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus. It's all about him. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Let's just take some time to pray. Oh God, I pray, Lord, that we would see this morning and have a revelation of that which is most fundamentally important to you. And that is our love for the Lord. Without love, Lord, we're nothing. Without love for God, we're nothing. And that love, Lord, is measured by our obedience to the commandments of God, to the word of God. We're not talking about legalism. But, Lord, the Christian life is not without law. There's a law of the spirit of life in Christ. And if we're going to live according to the law of the spirit of life, then we must not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And we must walk in obedience to the Spirit and that which is revealed. Otherwise we will grieve you, Lord. So I pray, God, that your blessing would be upon each of us. To those, Lord, that love the Lord Jesus Christ. And now that we are gathered. And if not, Lord, I pray for those this morning whose love may not be authentic or as it should be. I pray, O oh God, that you would bring conviction. And Lord, that we would make the necessary changes, repentance and obedience, Lord, and, uh, and manifest and show our love for you. So I pray your blessing upon each and all this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.